tonight, open to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 9, Hosea chapter 9, and I wanted to kind of finish chapter 9 last week, and that did not go the way I had planned. We got one verse, but um, I do believe this evening we'll be able to finish chapter 9. Hosea chapter 9, and we're going to start back in verse number 10 and read through it again to make sure we're keeping uh, in context and remembering what we looked at last week. He says in verse number 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time, but they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. My God will cast them away, because they did not hearken unto him. And they shall be wanderers among the nations." This is a very, very severe passage of Scripture here. It seems as if God is being a little harsh. When you read what God speaks of here, it's almost like we're saying, God, what? I mean, I thought you were supposed to be a loving God. How could you be this, this harsh? How could you be this severe to, to Israel? But again, remember what he said back up in verse number 10. He says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. We, we talked about this last week, how excited God was and uh, the joy that God had in Israel and, and what he had planned for them and what he was going to do through them. But that joy was turned to sorrow. He says, because they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves unto that shame. Their abominations were according as they loved. God said, I, I, I had great plans for you. I had wonderful things in store for you. But instead, you, you chose to go and worship these false gods. You chose to go and after Baal. And uh, we saw and remember how uh, Balaam uh, showed Balak that he could not curse Israel, but he would show them how that he could deceive Israel and get them to fall into to sin. And, of course, Israel struggled with that all throughout their time. And the rest of this passage here, verses 11 through 17, I believe is really summed up in the first part of verse number 17. He says, my God will cast them away. My God will cast them away. And I say it's a very dangerous thing It's when God has to say he's going to cast you away. He says in verse number 11, and we're going to see what transpires here. 
He says, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth and from the womb and from the conception. So think about this. The, he's talking about Israel again. Many times he uses that phrase Ephraim, referring to the larger tribe of the, the northern ten tribes and talking about them as a whole. But he says, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird from the birth, from the womb, from the conception. What glory did Israel have? What, what was the glory? I mean, you can think about how God brought Israel out and brought them into the promised land, and you can think about what God did through, through the judges, and you can think about how God brought in uh, Saul as king, and, uh, and then, of course, Saul rejects God, and then God turns to David, and David becomes king, and David's a man after God's own heart. But you think of all the battles that David won and, and Israel won against the enemies and things, but... What glory did Israel have if it was not for God? Solomon in all of his glory, right? I mean, the Queen of Sheba comes up from Africa and says, Man, I've heard about your glory. I've heard of your wealth. I've heard of your wisdom. And she stays for a little bit and she sees what's going on she talks to solomon and and she talks to other people his servants and people in the country and she sees all the the glory that is there and she says you know what i heard but all the things that i heard the half hadn't even been told it was glorious but what glory did they really have without god and notice what he says as for ephraim their glory shall fly away like a bird. The glory that they had received. Do you remember how people would, as we were reading through the scriptures, do you remember how people would talk about Israel? How they would talk about Solomon and David and, and even those around, they were, they were afraid of David, but yet David was just a man. They talked about the wisdom and, and the glory of Solomon and his kingdom, but yet Solomon was just a man. The glory came from God. And the glory they had received because of God would fly away. So it's going to fly away like a bird. Anything they had to glory in, they had received from God. And now, all of that would be gone. It'd all be gone. All the things that they, they sought after, that Israel was seeking after, the, the, the financial aspect, the, the money, the, the education, the pleasure, all of those things, he said, it's all going to be gone. In fact, if we go back and, and we think about this glory that God gave and the wisdom that God gave to Solomon, if you go back to Proverbs chapter 23, in Proverbs chapter 23, Look what he says in verse number four and five. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They shall fly away as an eagle toward heaven. What's he saying? Look, don't. It's very similar to what Paul tells us in Colossians. Set not your affections on Things below. Don't, don't put your affections on things here. Why? Because they can all be taken away so easily. Again, we think that, 
that so many times in, in life, what we have here, what this world offers, that's really what brings satisfaction. And so that's what we search after. And yet he says, hey, all of that's just going to fly away. It flies away like a bird. He says, the glory they had received, their glory shall fly away like a bird. And then he makes an interesting statement here. I think the end of verse number 11 continues on into verse number 12. Because he says, from the birth, from the womb, and from the conception. Again, he's talking about children here. He says, though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them, that there shall not be a man left. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. Again, when you go back and you'll, you'll study, and it's kind of how we were looking at the beginning of the chapter here, and, or the, cha- uh, the beginning of the book, um, there was a lot of immorality going on and among the, the temples and, and things that were taking place there, a lot of wickedness. But one of the things that was very important in those days and through all of this was children. Now, what's really sad is... One of the reasons why children were so important in that day. Not all of them, but as we looked, we saw that even Israel had gotten so far away from God that they were following the customs of those in the land in sacrificing children to their gods. Not to God, but to these false gods. Showing how devoted they were. That they'd be willing even to sacrifice their own children. One of the promises that God had given to Abraham was that his seed would be as the sand of the sea. Remember back in Genesis when God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees, he said, look, I'm going to make a great nation of you and and through you all nations are going to be blessed and and your seed is going to be the sand of the sea. He said, I'm going to multiply it. And and the other uh, other time when God spoke to me, he says, look up into the the sky and and number the stars. He said, that's that's how your, your children are going to be. You're going to be like the stars in heaven multitudes and multitudes God had kept his word God made a great nation a very populous nation out of Israel but now because of their sin the population of Israel would no longer be great no longer would they be a great and populous nation in fact he he shows us here that it would diminish He talks about the diminishing of the the children uh, of not being born. There wouldn't be as many children being born. And he says, and even though, uh, even at the end of verse number 11, from the birth, from the womb, from the conception, he talks about there's there's not going to be the, again, this is what they desired. They wanted children, but he says, there are not going to be children being born. And he says, even those that are born, he says, though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them that there shall not be a man left. Even those that do have children, he says, think about this, they would diminish. And, and because of the, the, uh, what would be taking place in Israel under this captivity, those, even the children that would be born, their number would diminish so much that it would be as if there were no children being born. Again, I think we understand statistics and in order for a population to continue to grow, You have to have children. And God had blessed Israel. They had had many children and and the the nations had grown. In fact, even when they were in Egypt, if you think about it, there was only 72 people that went down into Egypt. 72. 
went out into Egypt. And when they left, how many left Egypt 400 years later? There was almost 2 million that left 400 years later. Just the men that were numbered for war. Not all the men, just the men of the, from, from 20 years of age, I believe it was, to, uh, was it to 50 years of age, something like that. Just that, in that age group, there was 600,000 that were able to go to war. Not counting the other men, not counting all the women, not counting all the children. What had God done? He had kept his word. He had taken, he had taken one man by the name of Abraham. And he had given him a son named Isaac, and God had blessed Isaac with, with a son, and, uh, and, and God had blessed uh, with two sons, and, and God blessed Jacob, and, and he had many sons. And now this, this whole nation, in fact, remember why, were they, why was Israel put in bondage in, in Egypt? Because they were afraid that Israel would become so big that they would unify with another enemy and conquer Egypt. But he said, no longer would that be. Their number would diminish. Those that would be born would die, he speaks of. Though they bring up their children, yet will I bereave them. Those children that would be born, they would die through poverty, through disease, through the, through the enslavement under the Assyrian captivity. The Assyrians were not going to treat them well. And those that would be born, even then, would die. Watch what he says. Yea, woe also to them when I depart from them. God says they are going to understand that God had departed. They are going to understand when their glory is gone, everything that they had to glory in is brought to waste. When they are taken into slavery and in captivity, everything that they looked for, everything they thought was, was, would bring satisfaction, everything that they thought was pleasure, when all of that is gone and there's nothing to glory in anymore, he says they are going to know that all that they had was not because of them, but it was because of me. And they will know that God has departed. Again, you, you, you see the picture with Hosea and Gomer. As Gomer goes into immorality and adultery and, and yet it is Hosea that goes and, and follows her and, and makes sure that she's taken care of and then finally says, hey, you know what, no more. And she understands that it was, it was Hosea that, who had taken care of her. God says they're going to know that this had nothing to do with them. They had no power. They had no glory in and of themselves. It was only through God. How often do we need to be reminded that? We think it's about us. Our lives. Look at what we have. Look at what we've accomplished. God says, wait a minute. You wouldn't have that without me. What you glory in, you wouldn't have that without me. What you think you've accomplished, you wouldn't have that without me. And God says, if you really want to know what it's like to be without me, go ahead. Keep doing it. Keep looking at those things. Turn your back on me. Go ahead. God says, I can't stop you. I'm, I'm going to warn you, don't do it. I'm going to warn you over and over. He sent the prophets. He said, don't do this. Turn, repent. Judgment's going to come. 
But God says, I'm not going to stop you. You have, you have a choice to make. As Christians, we have a choice to make. Do we glory in the one who saved us? Do we glory in the one who, who provides for us? Or do we glory in ourselves and what we have and what we think we've accomplished? Because he said, woe also to them when I depart from them. He says in verse number 13, he says, Ephraim, as I saw Tyrus, is planted in a pleasant place. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. Again, think about what God is saying here. He, he recalls how Israel would even sacrifice their own children. But he says, Ephraim, as I saw, Tyrus is planted in a pleasant place. In other words, Tyre was, at this time, Tyre, God has not judged Tyre yet, but Tyre was a, was a coastal city in the northern part of Israel, right on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a, it was a city that was greatly prosperous. I mean, there was, there was wealth and affluence coming in because there was a port there and ships would come in with, with great wealth. And so this was a very, uh, a very great commercial center and he says God planted his people in a special land just like Tyrus was in that in that special area there where where ships would come in and God had made Israel just like Tyrus God had blessed them and and made them prosperous and and provided for them but what had they done with the land what had they done with it They had polluted it with idolatry, and that's what he says here. But Ephraim shall bring forth his children to the murderer. God had given them the land to raise their children. Remember what he says in Deuteronomy, that you're supposed to teach them the things of God. You're supposed to teach them about the Lord and how to walk with God. You teach it in the morning. You teach it when you walk with him. You teach it when you lay down. All the time, you're supposed to be teaching them about God and and who God is and how great God is. But instead, Israel has turned away from God and is now teaching their children to worship false gods. They're teaching them to worship Baal, even sacrificing their children to him. They had polluted the land with idolatry. In fact, if you go down, if you just jump down to chapter 10, verse number 1, notice what he says. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. According to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. As they were blessed more, as they received more, instead of, again, looking to God, what does it say? They built more altars. Instead of looking to God, they built more idols. They worshipped more gods. They created more images. Remember how we talked in the early part of chapter 9 when blessings become curses? This is what has happened. And when God blessed them and they were able to receive more, instead of recognizing that it was from God, what did they do? They turned their back on God and they built more idols. It's amazing how many times you can see, even in Christians' lives, man, maybe in difficult times they're they're looking to god they're they're wanting god to work and you see god begin to work in their lives and god begin to provide and god to begin to bless and as god provides and god blesses guess what you begin to see they begin to turn their back on god 
They begin to turn their back on the very one that they were asking for blessing, the very one that they were asking for provision, and they turn their back on God and want nothing to do with God anymore. That's what Israel had done. And this is what had happened. He says that according to the goodness of the land, they have made goodly images. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. Instead of looking to God and thanking God, they began just worshiping even more gods. The more prosperous they became, the more they turned away from God. By the way, I believe that's also a picture of our country. The more prosperous our country has become, the more we have turned away from God. Notice what he says in verse number 14. Give them, O Lord, what wilt thou give them? Hosea is is recognizing what Israel is doing. and He says, God, what are you going to do? Lord, what, what, what should they receive? What, what's what's going to happen to them? I, I really believe Hosea, as, as we look, and there's, there's, a, there's a close relationship with God, and Hosea is seeing how God is viewing Israel, and he says, God, you can't just let this go. You can't just continue to let this go. Give them, Lord. Give them. What wilt thou give them, Lord? I... What are, you, what are you going to do? Now, I don't think God is having Hosea ask him so he can figure it out. I think God already knew. But I think we see just in Hosea a man that has such a heart for God. He's saying, God, I understand. I recognize. I realize that because of what Israel's done, judgment is going to come. Judgment is going to come. Give them a miscarrying womb. And dry breasts. He says, all their wickedness is in Gilgal. Now watch. Watch what he says here. Watch what God says. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. Anybody remember that? That city? A couple years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, we did a series through the book of Joshua. And when Joshua crossed over Jordan, and the Israel crossed over Jordan, they encamped in a place called Gilgal. And we begin to see Gilgal all throughout the book of Joshua after they have crossed over. They would go out and battle, and after God would give them a victory, they would come back to Gilgal. And they would go out and they would battle, and after God would give them a victory, they would come back to Gilgal. Gilgal was a special place during Joshua's day, and then even after that, Gilgal was. Well, it was a place that Joshua and Israel had come for a spiritual refreshment. After they had gone out and fought, they would come back. Ilgal was to be a place of, it was a place of peace and a place of blessing. A place where Joshua and Israel would go after battles to, to be refreshed spiritually. But what does he say? All their wickedness is in Gilgal. They had turned a place of peace and blessing into a place of idolatry. Remember what Amos said about it? Go back with me to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 4. Amos mentions this as well. In Amos chapter 4, notice what he says in verse number 4. Come to Bethel and transgress 
at Gilgal, multiply transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings for this like you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. What is he saying? Israel, even during this time, remember Amos and Hosea are, are, are kind of uh, prophesying around the same time a little bit. And Amos says, hey, what had they done? They had turned Gilgal into a place of idolatry. They were bringing their sacrifices and they were offering their, their sacrifices there, even their religious rituals, bringing their tithes and things like this, but they had turned it into a place of idolatry. And watch what he says. Think about what, what Hosea is saying. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there, I hated them. That's some pretty strong language. God says, for there, all their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there, I hated them. They are going to endure the hatred of God because of their wickedness. They are going to be driven from the land. Look, look again what he says. For there I hated them, for their wickedness, for the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house, I will love them no more, all their princes are revolters. ironic i think when god was bringing them into the promised land god said i'm going to bring you into the promised land that was already inhabited and what did god say he would do to the inhabitants that were there remember what he said he said i will drive them out I will drive them out. And again, remember, why does God say he's going to drive them out? Because of their wickedness. He was going to drive them out because of how wicked they were. Again, think about it. As, as Israel is coming in, what does Balaam do? Balaam says, I can't curse them, but I can show you how to get them to stumble. I can show you how to get them to fall. Basically, you take your wickedness and teach it to them. God said, I wanted to drive the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Amorites and all of these others. I wanted to drive them out of the land because of their wickedness. And now, God is going to drive Israel out of the land because of their wickedness. Isn't it interesting? I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more, he says. Why? For the wickedness of their doings. God said, I want you to drive the Canaanites out because of their wickedness and what they have done. Israel came in. They drove them out. They had peace for a little bit. And then what did we find happening? Now the Canaanites and all these others are kind of, they're kind of creeping in with the Israelites. And they're starting to teach them their wickedness. They're teaching them immorality. They're teaching them can you imagine? I mean, think about this. Can you imagine that when Israel went in, did they ever think 
Did Israel, in their, in their mind, when Joshua is bringing Israel in, when Moses is leading them out of Egypt, did they ever think that they would be worshiping Baal? Did they ever think that they would be taking their children and offering them as sacrifices? Did they, would be, did they ever think that their, the, their country would be an open immorality? I don't think so. I, I don't think those things were anywhere near their mind. So what happened? And this is, this is really... There's so much I want to say in these last few verses here. Instead of staying away and being obedient to God, God say, hey, I don't want you to have any part of them. Their wickedness. Because if you start getting around them, what's going to happen is their wickedness is going to start rubbing off on you. You stay, you stay away from them. Israel said, "Now nah, we can handle it. We can handle it. I mean, look at all these battles we've fought. Look at all the people we've caught. We can handle this, God. We don't need to stay away. And they began to believe the lie that Balaam had taught Balak. Just start, start getting them to do things against God. Start getting them to question God. Start getting them to question whether the things of God are really important. Start getting them to question and doubt whether what God really says is, is true and, and really reliable. Start getting them to, to say, hey, you know what? God's keeping us from some fun, so let's not do what God says. Let's have fun instead. And what happened? It wasn't just overnight, but it slowly, day by day by day, began to creep in and creep in and creep in until finally... It had so consumed Israel that God says, I hate them. What you're doing, I hate. Now, let me ask you this. Because think about what he says. For there I hated them for the wickedness of their doings. I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Did God still love them? It's not a trick question. Did God still love them? Sure he did. God still loved them. You say, but but Pastor, verse 15 says, he says, I hated them. He says, I will love them no more. It's true. But did God still love them? Absolutely. Of course he did. But a righteous love knows that it also must mete out judgment. God is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. And just because God loves doesn't mean that God will overlook sin and not bring judgment. God loved Israel, but that's what he says. Their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. He hated what they were doing. And he could no longer have his hand of blessing upon Israel. They would think, as they were going through this, that God did not love them. They would think, as the Assyrians came and 
They would begin to see their family members die by the sword. They would think that as Assyria would take them into captivity and through the hundreds of years of captivity that they were in and and seeing the starvation and seeing the, the persecution, they would think of those that maybe had escaped captivity and maybe fleeing into Egypt, but yet thinking that those there were going to die as well. They would think that God did not love them. God, why would you let this happen if you loved us? Why would you allow the Assyrians to come if you loved us? God, you don't love us anymore. And they would think, as they were going through this, that God would not love them, that God did not love them anymore. Very similar to how a child can think when they are being disciplined that their parents do not love them. I don't know if you can remember when you were a kid and you got disciplined, you got caught for what you were doing, and you got disciplined. For me, when I got disciplined by my parents, there was no time out. There was one phrase go to the bedroom. And when I heard that phrase, it was not good. And I can be very honest with you. I can remember there were times when my father and my mother, when they would discipline me, and I remember in my heart, I hate you. I hate you. If you really loved me, you wouldn't do this. Can I tell you kids something? I know there are probably times in your heart when you're being disciplined by your parents that you might think, they don't love me. They hate me. No, the reason why they discipline you is because they do love you. They do love you. And you might feel at the time they don't love you. And you might feel at the time you hate them because of what they're doing. But you have to understand that love for that child. God's love for Israel was so great that he could not allow them to continue doing what they were doing. And his righteous love would bring justice, would bring discipline. What they did not understand, what I did not understand as a child, was the discipline that I endured was because of my parents' love. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, a parent who truly loves his child will discipline them. Is it pleasant? Of course not. (laughs) Remember what he says in Hebrews? Remember he talks about you endured chastening? And he says, no chastening seemeth pleasant. (laughs) Hey, man, right? No chastening's ever seemed pleasant. 
But he said it was for your good. It was for your good. Was Israel going to think that this chastening, this discipline they were receiving from God was, was pleasant? Oh, no. They were going to think that God hated them. They were going to think that God wanted nothing to do with them when it was just the opposite. God loved them. God wanted to bless them. But he could not continue to condone and bless their wickedness. And he disciplined. Parents, just as much as God hated to discipline Israel, but he understood that it was right we have to understand we cannot allow children just to live however they want. We can't allow that wickedness because if we allow that wickedness to, to continue growing, guess what it's going to do? It's going to destroy their lives. And that's why God has given parents to help to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What do you think would have happened with Israel if God would just said, well, just, just, keep on, just keep on doing it. It's okay. I'll overlook it. Friend, I don't think there would be a nation of Israel today. They would have been wiped off the face of the earth. But God said, because I love you, there must be discipline. And God allowed Israel to be disciplined. Though it hurt him, though it hurt them, God knew it was for their best. It's for their best, for their good. He says, Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. Ephraim is smitten. Anybody remember what Ephraim means? Remember Joseph had two sons? As Joseph was in Egypt, and God blessed, he was able to remember or tell the dreams of Pharaoh. God gave him two sons there in Egypt, and he named them Manasseh and Ephraim. The name Manasseh means to forget. What does the name Ephraim mean? The name Ephraim means fruitful. Fruitful. Now think about what God just said. Ephraim, who was to be fruitful, and by the way, think about it, Ephraim is the largest tribe... Were they fruitful? Yes, they were. Ephraim is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of their womb. He said, Ephraim, who God had, God had given that blessing as Joseph had brought his two sons before his father Jacob, and he put his hand on, on Ephraim, and he said, you're going to be bountiful. You're going to be fruitful. And God had blessed him and said, yes, you're going to have this fruitful, you're going to have this fruitfulness, this bountifulness, and, and this tribe began to grow, and Ephraim was the largest of the tribes. But yet God says, now because of your wickedness, there will, no, 
there will be no fruit anymore. Their root is dried up. It's like a tree that has been cut down and the the root just kind of dries up and withers away. It's not going to bear any fruit. Nothing that they would do would prosper. Whether trying to grow in number as a nation, to whatever they put their hand to, nothing would prosper. And he says in verse 17, my God will cast them away. They'd be cast away. Because God hated them? No. They were not cast away because God hated them. They were not cast away because God did not love them. Why were they cast away? Because they did not hearken unto him. They did not listen to God. They would not obey God. And they did exactly what God told them not to do. It's very interesting. This is exactly what happened to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, turn there real quick with me. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, I think we know the story. God had told Saul through Samuel that he was to go and to smite the Amalekites, to kill all of the Amalekites. Why? Because they were wicked. So God says, Saul, I want you to go kill all the Amalekites. Saul goes. Well, what does he do? Does he kill all of the Amalekites? Does he kill all the, uh, the, the herds and things of the Amalekites? What does he do? In 1 Samuel chapter 15, notice in verse number 22. And Samuel says, he's talking to Saul after he sees that Agag, the king of Amalek, has not been put to death and all of the animals that are there have not been put to death. And watch what Samuel says in verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in... What's that next word? What is it? Obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold to... What's that next word? Obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Did God hate Saul? No. Why was Saul rejected? Because he did not hearken to God. He did not listen what God said because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord he hath also rejected thee from being king something I found very interesting about this it because it's so similar to what we've just read in Hosea you did not listen to God and so God is going to allow discipline to come Saul you did not listen to God and now God has rejected you from being king Does anyone know where Samuel and Saul are at this moment in Israel? I found this very interesting. Go back up with me to verse number 12. And when Samuel arose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. 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 
The place that was supposed to be a place of blessing, a place of peace. Saul said, I'm not going to listen to what God says. I'm going to do it my way. Israel, hundreds of years later, at Gilgal, I'm not going to listen to what God says. I'm going to do it my way. God says they would be cast away because they did not hearken unto him. And they shall be wanderers among the nations. The ten tribes did not return after that captivity as the ten tribes. They came back with Judah, but as a mixture Some had intermarried with the Assyrians, were called Samaritans. But when they did return from captivity, most Jews, even today, cannot tell you what tribe they belong to. They can't tell you what tribe they belong to. Because God said, I would cast you away And you'll be wanderers among the nations. You did not listen. I warned you and I warned you and I warned you and I warned you. And you did not listen. And now he said, I'm going to cast you away. You're going to be wanderers among the nations. And Israel wandered among the nations. Wandering so much so that those ten tribes what tribe are you from? I don't know. Unless they were from Judah, they would not know what tribe they were from. Did God bring Israel as a nation back? Yes, God brought Israel and Judah back as a nation. We find that 400 years later, after the the 400 years of silence when Jesus is being born, right? But what about all the other tribes? What tribe are you from? I don't know. How come? Well, because hundreds of years ago, my parents and grandparents and great-great-grandparents were more concerned about living for self and pleasure than they were about listening to God. I wonder what would be said of each of us if God tarries us coming and a hundred years from now I wonder what our children would say about us. Would they say, my parents cared more about living for the flesh, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, they cared more about sensual things, they cared more about self, they cared more about the worldly things. I have no Christian heritage anymore. Or would they say, you know what? I had parents that loved God and grandparents that loved God and they taught me the word of God. They showed me how important it was to listen to God and to obey God so that God would keep his hand of blessing upon our lives. I don't know about you, but I would, I'd much rather be a second option instead of being a castaway. Cast away from God. 
Not because he hates us, but because we would not listen. We would not listen. We're going to do it our way. We don't care about what God says. He says, okay. There you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, especially as Christians, Lord, we we understand that as a child of God, we can never lose our salvation. Lord, as a child of God, we can never not be your child. But Lord, we can be cast away. Not from salvation, not from your love, but because we refuse to listen. And we go our own way, we do our own thing, and your hand of blessing is removed. The things that we glory in will be taken away. Lord, I pray for Christians tonight. Lord, that we would listen. We would hearken to your word. Lord, that we would put our eyes upon you. Lord, we know you love us. We know that your way is best. Lord, our flesh and the world and the devil tries to pull us away. Tries to make us think that we're missing out on things that are really important. And all the fun. And yet, God, when we follow our flesh and we follow the world and we follow the devil, we end up turning our backs upon you. And Lord, we become that castaway. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, help us to listen, to hearken, to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment.